Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Anybody that says running back, bullshit. All right, that was Kansas City's bullshit. We're going for two. All right, we're going for two, and we ain't stopping. They've given us all the resources to keep all you guys together and to keep you next year. And we're going to do this thing again. You ain't going nowhere. Some of the usual celebratory comments fueled by some alcoholic beverages after a team wins a Super Bowl, Peter. Bruce Arians, who has been known to enjoy an alcoholic beverage or two from time to time. Jason Light with his Bud Light. Tom Brady wobbling off the boat like it's a weekend at Bernie's remake. I mean, my goodness, they were having a good time and they said a lot of things. I don't know how many of those things are going to come to fruition. It's always difficult to climb back to the top of the mountain. There's a reason it's only happened uh, what it's happened at no time since 2003 through 2004 when the Patriots did it, but uh, no, they, they hey, but Mike, they you find know a what? way. None they of find those... a way to keep their key guys. They're they're going to be in business. Hey, none of those comments rise to the level of the great inebriated Super Bowl parade speech in NFL history. Jason Kelsey. <laughs> but, uh, was he inebriated? like a mummer? It made me feel uh, inebriated well, uh, to try to try to look at his costume. Oh my God! Yeah, I, I I don't know if it was, but I would be surprised under normal circumstances if someone would be screaming into a microphone like that. But hey, look, you know I, I read a lot the other day on, uh, sitting here on the sidelines about the parade, and somebody wrote, "Oh my God, how could Jason Light say that?" Well, you say a lot when you're five, eight beers into it. I mean, you know, <laughs> and so nobody should really be held accountable for their actions on the day of a uh, Super Bowl celebratory parade. You know, good for them. The funniest thing was when Brady, a couple hours after his little wobbly exit from the boat, went when he said, yeah, it was avocado tequila. <laughs> Well, and if the guy never drinks, it probably doesn't take much to get him to the point where he needs to be helped off right. the boat because you get a tolerance of absolutely nothing. And there, there, there he is. And, you know, <laughs> he, he, he had a brace on his left knee, and uh, it, it may not have been precautionary. He's reportedly going to have minor surgery. Of course, minor surgery, surgery uh, on someone other than me or a family member. That I hate that term, and I always have, but... Ben Volan of the Boston Globe pointed out that it's going to be something more involved in minor surgery. And when the story comes out, it's going to advance the legend of Tom Brady or something like that. Well, 
Uh, it's intriguing because he didn't appear on the injury report at all this year, Peter, with a knee or anything else other than a rest day from time to time. So they better be careful how much they pump up the legend of Tom Brady by talking about him playing with a bad knee or some people with the Bucks are going to have to make an involuntary contribution to the charity of the NFL's choice. Yeah, I mean, look, you, I didn't see him the whole year look like anything was wrong with his knee. I was taken by surprise when, when I heard that. But, you know, I, and look, I don't know what it is. I, I don't have any idea. But I do think that at age 43, it's probably, uh, it's probably, I, I, don't, I don't even want to say intelligent to get clean up surgery if anything at all is wrong. But I, I would guess that this has been, you know, uh, over the years, this has kind of been a brewing situation. But I will say about just his health in general, I think one of the interesting things looking back on a year ago, and it was, I guess, 13 months ago when he played his last game for the, for the Patriots, and the questions there about his arm strength. And I'll tell you, his arm strength was really very good this year, all the way through the Super Bowl. One of the interesting things that uh, I talked to Clyde Christensen yesterday, the quarterback coach, and he was talking about the same thing that Byron Leftwich told me, you know, it's just too bad we don't have four or five more games, you know, because of how well we're playing right now. And we just started playing really, really well. And I'm not sure that many of their players would agree. It's a shame that we don't have four or five more games. I think at the end of a 20 game season or 21, you've had enough. Yeah, and it was from 7-5 and five to 8-0. and oh, They really did hit their stride after their bye week, after they lost to the Kansas City Chiefs, had two weeks for their next game, and they went from there. Um, the, the, the Tom Brady acquisition in hindsight, one of the great moves that any team has made in any offseason, the Buccaneers knew what they had, they knew what they wanted, and they went and got it. Here's Bruce Arians speaking to you earlier this week on Brady ultimately being the missing piece to the puzzle for the Buccaneers. I told him, hey, dude, remember our first conversation? He said vividly, so you come, we'll win the Super Bowl. Did you really know? I knew he was the missing piece because we were yeah. so talented last year. And, and with yeah. that young secondary coming on, I knew I knew it could be really really good defensively, and all we needed was a leader. Yeah, and I love Jameis, but Jameis wasn't he wasn't the guy. The big concern about Jameis came in December. I remember Arians talking about that last year. December is when the foundation is laid for a championship run. That's when the great quarterbacks step up. That's when Jameis stepped off. That's when Jameis disintegrated. That's when Jameis finished his run to 30 interceptions. And Arians knew at that point, we need better than this if we're going to compete for a championship. So out goes Jameis for a team that was 7-7 seven and seven going into the final two games of the year. In comes Brady on a team that was 7-5 and five going into the final four. What happens? December rolls around and off they go, Peter. What was so interesting about the pursuit of Tom Brady is that uh, I've come to believe now it's more that more of uh, who did Tom Brady want. You know, obviously, I believe he was interested in the Indianapolis Colts. That interest was not uh, reciprocated. I believe the Los Angeles Chargers were interested in him. I don't think he wanted to, to, do, to live out there because of his family situation. Um, and then I think the other thing that was all will always be sort of this kind of hazy mystery hanging over it, Mike, is how serious was the New Orleans Saints uh, interest? How serious would that interest have been if Drew Brees actually had walked away? Because I believe at the end of last year, that organization believed that Drew Brees was going to walk away after 2019. And then he had time to think about it. And he said, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay. But what, so what basically happened, uh, I think, is that that story never really had a chance to happen because Breeze came back. Now, would it have happened? I don't know. But I do think that Sean, uh, Sean Payton, being the quarterback maven that he is, 
would definitely have at least kicked the tires on that one, Mike. And the 49ers, the other team that admitted to taking a look at Tom Brady, decided to keep Jimmy Garoppolo over Tom Brady. Not that the 49ers would have gotten back to the Super Bowl and won it if Brady had gone there. They were besieged by injuries this year. But if Brady had gone to the 49ers, the Buccaneers aren't winning the Super Bowl this year, and it quite possibly would have been a Chiefs repeat, Peter. So it just shows you what one domino can do. As we stand on the brink of so many potential dominoes falling this offseason, already the Matthew Stafford for Jared Goff trade that we know about, Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson, etc. It it really makes you wonder who out there has a vision like the one that Bruce Arians had last year, and there's a missing piece that that coach or that GM wants, and th- they'll be the team we're talking about a year from now that made it work. Mike, I I want to keep an eye on the Carolina Panthers. Um, I think that although they love uh, Teddy Bridgewater as a guy. He had a C or C-plus season. And I think the Panthers look at that and think they need better at quarterback. Now, will they get? Will they be able to do better at quarterback? They certainly sniffed around significantly on Matthew Stafford. So I don't think they're out of uh, the equation here uh, to, to change quarterbacks. And even if they don't, I do think they're going to look into it. The one other team that that I think is interesting right now and interesting going forward is Washington because I think emotionally they feel like they're tied to Alex Smith and you saw they signed Taylor Heineke for two years uh, this week, which I think was a really smart decision on their part. But the question is, they have a defense that's ready to win now. They have to look at their own organization, their own team and say, Do we think that Alex Smith is good enough to play deep in the playoffs? The emotional story is one thing, but is his ability good enough to play deep in the playoffs? Now, they may decide that it is, but I'm going to be watching Washington as well. You caught my attention earlier when you talked about the desire on the part of some Buccaneers to continue the season, even though they're at the top of the mountain. They planted the flag. They grabbed the trophy. They threw it from one boat to another. Here's Byron Lefwich explaining to you his wish that the season actually had gone on four games longer. I just felt confident in, you know, what we what we had as a game plan, who we are, and what we become as a team. Uh, it was really about a more confidence in the team on where we, I've been around a lot of good football teams. And where we've been at the past two, three, four weeks, we've been getting better every week, you know. And the, the tough part for us, we, we'll be so much better a month from now. We was kind of wishing that we could have four more games to play <laughs> to, just, to just keep repping, to just keep, you know, seeing how far we can take this thing. That's a scary thought r- regarding where they may be next year. You know, they did struggle at times. They did limp into their bye week. They come out of the gates uh, hot. They come out of the gates ready. They get the Saints maybe early in the season and get a chance to show that last year's sweep in the regular season was kind of a fluke thing, and they're ready now. And, of course, the Saints are going to be a very different team. Peter, I, yeah, it's amazing to think this team didn't win its division. And I look at the NFC South right now, and I look at where the Bucks are, and I look at these other three teams, and there's the possibility there's going to be a gap there next year. What was really interesting in my conversations with um, a bunch of Tampa Bay people this week. Okay, so Mike, remember they lost to the Saints 38-3 to at home uh, this year. And one of the things about that game that I've asked four or five people, what was Brady like the day of that, you know, the night of that game and, and the next day? And Clyde Christensen, the quarterback coach, said, He showed up the next day, uh, no real sadness, no mourning, no anything other than we're good enough. We are good enough. We just have to play better. And Mike, I want you to consider a couple of things when people say, well, how do you say that after a 38-3 game? Consider a couple of things. The first time that Tom Brady got into a huddle with his offensive teammates was 28 days before the start of the regular season, okay? 
the first time he had an offense-defense practice against the Buccaneers in full pads. Okay, the first time, as Blaine Gabbert told me, we had our practice on August 14th, which was the first time, which should have been our practice on May 14th, you know, three months ago. But we never had an off-season program. So that's why the Buccaneers were really inconsistent. That's why Brady looks so bad on that two-minute drill at Chicago. That's why he looks so shaky against the Giants on Monday Night Football. And that's, I mean, they just were not very good. And I had somebody tell me that they never had a full-flung two-minute drill, you know, live two-minute drill. Uh, They had practiced plays in a two-minute drill, but never had a live two-minute drill before that game against Chicago, which seems absurd, but that's the kind of year it was. And that's why Byron Leftwich says, hey, we're just getting good right now. It's going to be unbelievable if we could play four more weeks. And that success they had coming out of the bye, down the stretch in the regular season, into the playoffs, it built more and more and more confidence. Here's Arians talking to you about the confidence the team had going into a game the Super Bowl that they were picked to lose. I knew we were going to win this game. Wow. How did you know? The way we practice, the way we've been playing. I mean, people don't give us credit, man. Our defense is good. And <laughs> we don't turn it over. I mean, we, we went up and kicked out of Green Bay. And I, I knew Todd would have a great plan. After we played him the first time, we learned our lesson. And yeah. he had a great plan. They were not getting that in the end zone. He shut out Aaron <laughs> Rodgers in the red zone and shut out Mahomes in the red zone. How long did you talk to Arians after the game? What was the gap? Because I think he had a chance to hydrate a bit between the end of the game and the he time he talked to you. <laughs> you know, I'll tell you, Mike, I'll tell Roman, you what was crazy. Have you ever heard? Have I'll you ever you heard? What, here's that, what was. Go ahead. Now, I'll tell you what was absolutely crazy about that. I asked Arians, uh, you know, before the game, Saturday or Sunday, I forget, I sent him a text and I said, hey, weird year and everything. I'm really going to need you after this game. And he sent me back a thumbs up emoji and a whiskey glass emoji, (laughs) you know, with brown liquid in the glass. (laughs) And so, but anyway, no, here's what was really strange about the game. After the game, I said, oh, my God, I got, I got to try to get Todd Bowles. I mean, that defense was just incredible. I got to try to get Bowles. So I got Bowles for like five minutes, and I was just getting ready to ask him another question. And I looked down, and there's Arians calling me. So, hey, Todd, congratulations. Uh, you know, have a good time, whatever. And I clicked over to Arians right then. And so that was about an hour after the game. I would say maybe hour, hour 10, but clearly they had already had the on-field celebration and everything, and he was in his office at the stadium when I talked to him, but I'm assuming he had a styrofoam cup with brown liquid, but I don't know. Could have been rum and coke, because after all, as Bruce Arians says, rum and coke is the drink I drink when I'm not drinking, so uh, uh, who knows? Either way, he deserved it that night, won the Super Bowl after uh, a lifetime in football, finally at the top of the mountain, and you mentioned Bowles. Bowles talked to you about the defensive game plan and the motivation the defensive players had. And let's hear uh, from Bowles, and we'll react a bit on the other side. Those guys are young, so the biggest thing they do is read and look at TV all the time, and nobody picked us and gave us a chance to win. Well, they were really pissed off about that. And, you know, combine that with the things we missed the first game and messed up. I think they were embarrassed, but they learned how to be professionals about it from the last time we played them. The biggest thing was they wanted to come out and fight. We had to give them some tools to fight with. Do you think, all things considered, this is the best game plan and performance by a defense that you choreographed and planned in your coaching career? Uh, This might be the best one that's worked. I thought I had some great ones that were... (laughs) 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 It might be the best one that worked thus far. (laughs) Oh, that's great. That's great. And a genius plan. And and part of the problem 
for the Chiefs was they didn't expect it. They stepped on the rake. They went right into thinking they were going to see the same defense they saw when they ran up their 17-0 lead in Week 12, and that was not the case. But, you know, Peter, when I saw those quotes from Bowles in Football Morning in America, the first thing I thought of was Michael Jordan because that's the thing that I take away from the Last Dance documentary more than anything else in those 10 parts, that Michael Jordan was such a master at motivation that if he had to make stuff up, he would. And these Buccaneers players allowed themselves to think that no one picked them. Yeah, people picked them. Of course, the weight of it was on the Chiefs, but there were people who thought the Buccaneers were going to win the game. It was only a three-point margin. This wasn't Super Bowl thirty-six with a 14-point wedge between the Rams and the Patriots, but you do what you have to do to get yourself whipped up into a frenzy, and kudos to the Buccaneers. They did it. Well, you know, the one thing that really stood out to me from both that conversation, you know, with Bowles and with listening to some of the defensive players afterwards, they were really ticked off because they felt like nobody thought that they could learn something from that game in week 12. And I'll tell you what they learned, okay? You do not let uh, Tyreek Hill take over the game. That's, that's one thing that I know that they learned. And they shifted so much defensive focus to, to him. And, you know, Mike, there was a really, really important play in this game in the first half where it was about third and eight. And, you know, the, the Kansas City is struggling to get something going. And Patrick Mahomes is chased again. And he makes a beautiful throw on a little out route to Jason Kelsey. It is right in his hands, and he drops it just as he's being tackled. But that play, I think, basically gave Tampa Bay the kind of bravado, quite honestly, to essentially be saying, you guys can't take the heat. And you saw how, how mouthy, that both teams are mouthy. Jeez, Tom Brady was mouthy. Uh, and so you saw how mouthy everybody was, but that is when I believe that singular play was one of the very, very important plays in the game. Because if they convert that and get a first down and go down and score, all of a sudden, you know, you're in the second quarter, it's a ball game. But instead, it's 21 to 6 at the half, and it doesn't feel like it's a ball game anymore. Shereen Williams made an excellent point earlier this week on PFTPM. If they don't play that game in Week 12, if the Buccaneers don't have the opportunity to get blown off the field early by Tyreek Hill and Patrick Mahomes, that's what happens in the Super Bowl, right? You don't learn from that experience Most during likely. the regular season. You just step right into the buzzsaw, and you're down big. And, yeah, the final score of the game was 27-24, but you fall behind 17 points to the Chiefs on the biggest stage in sports. Good luck, Eliminating that deficit, Peter. The one difference is that Eric Fisher was playing then, uh, and he wasn't playing on Sunday. And look, I, I actually think Mike Remmers on the le at left tackle played okay. He, he really actually played okay. It was Andrew Wiley on the right tackle who just killed him. He killed the Chiefs. And and I I you know the one thing it, look we. We're going to spend maybe one minute of this whole show talking about Kansas City. But it will—it really surprises me that they weren't able to do anything in a 30-minute halftime to say, hey, listen, let's, let's do something radical. Let's put a sixth offensive lineman in the game. Let's put, let's, you know, let's do something different. And they really didn't. Patrick Mahomes was chased uh, all over the field in the second half just like the first. Um, and that is a question that I think that Andy Reid, Eric Bieniemy, that staff will probably struggle with um, if they haven't already when they put the, the tape of this game on, you know, not really helping out on the right side more than they did. Five-man protection 92% of the time in the game for the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes, one of the most amazing stats coming out of that game, 497 yards running around behind the line of scrimmage before he threw the ball or was sacked. 
second only to week five when he ran around 495 yards against the Raiders, another game that the Kansas City Chiefs lost. And Mahomes obviously running around on that toe that has since been surgically repaired, which tells you, I don't care what he says after the game, it was a factor. It was an issue. That toe was bothering him, and he had to put a lot of work on top of that toe and make that toe even worse. You mentioned guys being mouthy, Peter. One thing I, I want to point out, there's been anticipation that we would see and hear the exchange between Tom Brady and Tyron Matthew near the end of the half that drew a 15-yard penalty that seemed out of character for Brady and kind of out of character for Matthew, too. They're in each other's face. And Matthew's got his finger in Brady's face. And I just thought that when it was time for the NFL Films audio to to emerge, we, we would have heard what they said. And I was told yesterday that it's NFL Films practice not to release audio of those kinds of squabbles and that they're not going to release that audio. And there's nothing in there beyond the, the normal things you would hear on a football field. I, I just think that sometimes an exchange, you know, this isn't something that, that didn't draw a penalty flag or something that happened in passing. This is a moment that was critical to the game. I think you make an exception in that situation. And whatever trust you have to get to get guys put microphones on, look, anything you say out there on the field is fair game. There's always microphones around. I was disappointed that that they didn't make that available so we all could hear what actually was said between the two players. But I would I would just remind you about something, and I don't know what happened I, I, about releasing it, not releasing it. I'll, I'll tell you two things I'll remind you. Number one, it's called NFL Films. So well, if it's going to tarnish, <laughs> if it's going to tarnish anybody or make anybody look bad, they're not, they're just not going to air it. Okay. The second thing I would remind you is, look, Tom Brady is over here making a documentary about his life, you know, in 10 episodes with Gotham Chopra and their uh, business, the religion of sports. So he's making, he's making, and, 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 you know, I don't even know what his relationship is with NFL Films. I, I truly don't know. But if they heard him, if they aired him bleepity bleeping Tyron Matthew, even with the bleeps bleeped in there, it, what do you think would be his willingness to be mic'd again or to do a project with them again? What, what do you think? I don't think it would be very high. You know why? He doesn't have to. And yeah. so... They need they need a good relationship with the greatest player of all time. Yeah, it's just a shame. It's a shame. And 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 look, if it really wasn't anything all that bad, why not let it come out? Gee, what a shock! Football players say the f word. I mean, he already has has humanized himself this week by stumbling off of a boat drunk and by throwing a a Lombardi trophy from one boat to another. I can't imagine that a couple of f bombs wouldn't have been an issue. And I'm sure that we we we've. I mean, are we shocked? So I, I just, I think it's unfortunate because it did acquire news value and it's something that was said in view of others and in, in, the, in the presence of others. So people heard it. It wasn't some secret communication. The whole thing is just a little bit, it's frustrating. It's disappointing because it's news. That Mike, exchange was news. Mike, let me and, ask and, you. And I feel like they should let us know what was said between the two guys. Let me ask you this question, taking a little swerve away from this topic. What would have happened if the Lombardi trophy fell in the drink? <laughs> tell me. Well, tell me. Well, would Gronk have dived into the Hillsborough River? Would he have? Would Scotty Miller have, have, have dived in there? Or what exactly would have happened at that moment right now? What would have well, happened? First of all, Chris Sims, who lived on or near the Hillsborough River, pointed out yesterday, it's 80 feet deep because it accommodates very large boats. So that thing would have gone straight down to the bottom. And I hope that Gronk or somebody else who'd been drinking avocado tequila or Bud Light hadn't jumped in to try to get it because they weren't getting it. And they were going to quickly realize they're getting down there pretty deep trying to find it. And we better get the heck out of here. And meanwhile, there's boats with motors uh, yeah, I'm just for for the human reason. I'm glad the thing didn't land in the drink because the guys who had had a few drinks would have gone in after it. I guarantee you, they would have tried to get it, and that could have been an ugly scene for everybody.
Well, yeah. I mean, hey, look, Brady didn't throw any picks in the game, and he didn't throw one the day after the game either. Well, and and I'll say this: that was the real trophy, and it may cause the folks, uh, you know, at the NFL to maybe give you know a replica to the players if they're going to have these celebrations, because you know that after what Brady did on Wednesday, you're going to have guys in the future that try to take it to the next level. So maybe the real trophy should be secured somewhere before that happens. All right, let's take a break. Speed round on this Friday edition of PFT Live right after this. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Time now for today's speed round brought to you by Verizon 5G. Built right. All right. A bunch of different topics to get into today, Peter. Let's rewind six days to the hall of fame announcement what what's your big picture reaction to the class of 2021 um that i think the overriding reaction uh is that most of the people who are on this list uh were in the room when we discussed them on january 19th were not very were not difficult now look i have publicized I did not vote for Tom Flores. I voted for everybody else on the list. But I think there was consensus in the room. And there usually is, but there was consensus in the room. I don't think any of these people here surprised me. If I was surprised at one thing, it was that uh, Clay Matthews, the uh, Browns linebacker, who was in his only year as a finalist in the room, that Clay Matthews didn't get in. That surprised me a little bit. Who would you have taken out to put him in? Um, put up the list again, and I'll tell you exactly. Oh, I would, I'm sorry. I would have taken Alan Fanica out. Not because I don't think Alan Fanica belongs. Mike, I think 12, play, 12 people on the... 15 of the 18 people on that list... Um, yeah, I'm sorry, 14 of the 18 people on that list... I would vote for without any qualms whatsoever. Alan Fanica belongs. We can only put five in in a given year. And that's why, to me, it's such a difficult thing. And everybody always says, why didn't you vote for this guy? Well, who, who am I going to take out? Um, so I, I, I had, I actually had in my final five, Clay Matthews in part. I definitely think he belongs. But this is the only year he was going to be under consideration uh, as a modern era finalist. And to get back from the senior committee, there's 60 or 70 deserving candidates. I don't mean to be morbid, but I don't know that Clay Matthews, if he ever does get in the Hall of Fame, will be alive for it. I was surprised Calvin Johnson got in on the first ballot. He didn't play long enough, in my opinion, never won a playoff game. I think that he's a guy who, if he gets in, has to wait because we've seen plenty of great receivers have to wait in recent years. I'm surprised he didn't have to wait. And I think to a certain extent, it, it undermines the guys who get in on the first ballot and deserve it like a Peyton Manning when you put guys in on the first ballot who maybe should have to wait a year or two, like a Brian Urlacher. I think that took a little away from Ryan, uh, from uh, Ray Lewis when Urlacher got in 
uh, as quickly as he did. But that happens. Look, you got a lot of different people with a, a spoon in the stew making these decisions, but that's what surprised me. How will you remember Marty Schottenheimer, who passed away on Monday at the age of 77? As an incredible human being. I, I think he was a great football coach. I'm writing something in my column on Monday from Rich Gannon about him, and he said, I'd never played for such an organized coach. You're ready for every little thing that would come up in a game. Uh, you know what I'm so sad for? I'm so sad that so many fluky things happen at the end of so many playoff games. Uh, many times his own players shot their team in the foot. I, I'm sad about that because I think a lot of people will say, ah, oh, Marty, really good coach. Never won anything in the playoffs. And I get that. But I count me among those who believe that you know, people who say, well, you, you can't truly be great unless you win a Super Bowl. I don't think that. I think you have to be really good in the postseason as well as the regular season to be one of the all-time greats. But, and again, everything, if the buck stops with Marty, so it is his fault ultimately. But fumbles at the end of games, uh, weird penalties, all that stuff that plagued him in his career, it's pretty tough to put the blame on his shoulders. If Marlon McCree doesn't fumble that ball for the Chargers after the interception against the Patriots in the divisional round of 2006. If he just lays they, down on the ground. Yeah. The, if the Colts come to the Chargers that next weekend, the Chargers matched up very well with Peyton Manning's Colts. The Chargers could have gone to the Super Bowl and won it in 06 over the Chicago Bears. Uh, 21 years for Schottenheimer, only two losing seasons. And Peter, something that Sims and I were talking about earlier this week, I want to get your input on this. With that separate track now carved out for coaches every year at the Hall of Fame. Isn't that going to get guys like Dan Reeves and Marty Schottenheimer in? Because you got to find a coach every year who's at least in position to be voted on. It feels inevitable that Schottenheimer is going to be that guy one of these years. Maybe, Mike, but I'll tell you, that committee uh, is, is a big, it's a big Super Bowl committee. It's a, you know, did you win championships? And, you know, I, look, I'm not, I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm, I'm saying, you know, look, we just voted in a guy in Tom Flores. And I don't mean to, uh, you know, be jumping on this. But we just voted in a guy who won 105 games in his coaching career, who averaged 8.8 .8 victories a year. And he won two Super Bowls. He made the Hall of Fame. So as I would argue, you know, so now Mike Shanahan is a lock. Maybe he should be, but now Mike Shanahan's a lock. Now George Seifert is a lock, right? George Seifert won a lot more, uh, won more games than uh, uh, Tom Flores. And he, he, he also won two Super Bowls. And he also had a bad uh, three-year run at his second team, the exact same as Flores. And so there's a lot of coaches right now. Mike Holmgren will certainly have a much better case because if you look at Bill Cower, Jimmy Johnson, Tom Flores, they've all gotten in in the last year, Mike. So all of them have one thing in common, you know, one or more Super Bowl victories. And the unfortunate thing when you talk about Marty Schottenheimer, he doesn't have that. If Gruden retired right now, does he get in 119 and 114 with a Super Bowl win? Surely he doesn't get in under that standard. I mean, Mike, you're asking me what I vote for, for that record. I would not. Okay. I think that, look, in my opinion, I'm not going to vote for a guy who averages 8.8 .8 wins a year. I'm just not going to do it as a head coach in the NFL. And he won two Super Bowls. I think he... He definitely deserves a place in NFL history. I just, I, I think that we in the last year, and part of it was that Centennial Committee, Mike, because, you know, they, they helped set a different bar, honestly, than the, uh, than the regular Hall of Fame Committee. And I'm not dissing anybody's case. If they're in the Hall of Fame, they are Hall of Famers. Good for them. All I'm saying is that all these coaches now, you talking Tom Coughlin, he was probably getting in anyway. Tom Coughlin, you know, Mike Holmgren, Mike Shanahan, George Seifert. You say, well, you know, we've created a category for coaches. I mean, th there's a lot of people in line who now say, well, what about me?
This is the speed round brought to you by Verizon 5G built right. We're going to go hyperspeed here for the last few. Which of the Buccaneers free agents most likely won't be back, Peter? My guess is, is Godwin, because in my opinion, when they look at what they need to do, my, my gut feeling is they're going to want to bring back Shaq Barrett over Godwin. Now, a lot of the guys on that list, Rob Gronkowski is only playing with Tom Brady. So if he's going to play again and he says he definitely wants to play again, they will figure out a way. I've got to figure the same thing with Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown has found his sweet spot and that is being on Tom Brady's team. They're in a different category than Godwin and Shaq Barrett. So in my so. opinion, it just my gut feeling, Shaq Barrett stays and Chris Godwin goes. I think somebody's going to make Levante David an offer he can't refuse, and it's going to break up David and Devin White at the linebacker level for the Buccaneers. All right, what would you tweak if Could you're the be. Chiefs? Uh, I would spend a lot of time uh, investigating offensive line this offseason, devoting uh, resources in the draft to it, um, that would be the biggest thing, the offensive line. They're okay everywhere else. Depth, too. Depth is the key. you got to have backups who can step in and get it done if and when guys get injured. Will Eric Bieniemy, Todd Bowles, or Byron Leftwich be head coaches in 2022, Peter? They better. If I was a, a black player in the NFL, I'd pick at the stadiums. It's... It's so stupid. First of all, the discussions and the interviews for head coaches should have started this week, not the first week of January. I don't get the impression they're going to change it. I really don't. They should, but I don't think they will. And if they had, Todd Bowles would be getting a job. Byron Leftwich would have at least gotten an interview. He got no interviews. It's amazing. Why not wait until the end of the season, the true end of the season, the day after the Super Bowl? We'll keep arguing for it. The NFL will keep doing what it's been doing for decades. We're going to take a break. Our draft today when we return, teams that will look much different in 2021. We'll be back with more right after this. Pro Football Talk is brought to you by Verizon. 5G built right. John Clayton reported earlier this week that the Raiders are very interested in Steelers receiver Juju Smith-Schuster. Look, the Steelers have plenty of depth at the position, a lot of money it's going to take to keep him around. He's not a true number one, but Peter, I think that that Juju would be the perfect Nelson Aguilar replacement for the Raiders, the perfect complement to Henry Ruggs, because we've seen what Juju can do when the other guy's getting double covered. Why do you need to replace Nelson Aguilar? I don't know. He's on a one-year deal. Maybe he's going to move on. Maybe they think Juju's an upgrade. And remember, there was that story from a few weeks ago from, I think, Vic Tafer of The Athletic that Aguilar blew a gasket on his teammates after the loss to the yeah. Dolphins. Justifiably. But it may make you wonder whether or not he fits in the plans. But, uh, uh, look, somebody's going to pay maybe Juju. Maybe it makes you think, maybe it makes John Gruden and Mike Mayock think we need more Nelson Aguilar's. That, that may be the case. Uh, maybe the Cleveland Browns would sign Juju Smith-Schuster because, after all, the Browns is the Browns, as Juju said. That may be his parting shot. <laughs> he ends up not coming back. All right. That's one of the changes that could happen in Pittsburgh. A lot of changes coming. Today's draft teams that will look a lot different in 2021. Peter, I'll give you the first pick. Look, I'm going to take Jacksonville because they will be the most different-looking franchise in the NFL, not just because they're taking Trevor Lawrence, but because I think when you have a new coach that is intending to put his stamp on every corner of the organization, you know, who's making all of the hires in the organization, who's bringing in all the free agents, when you do that, when you do that, you basically set yourself up to go from 1 in 15 to wherever, but you're going to you know, implode the one in 15 and you're going to say, okay, who's good here? Miles Jack. Okay. Miles Jack, you're staying. Everybody else. We're not so sure. <laughs> See you after, uh, you know, after mini camps. So to me, I think Jacksonville would be number one for me. I agree with you there. The next one, same division, the Houston Texans. They're going to be so different. They may as well peel the logo off the helmet and get a graphic of Jack Easterby doing stand-up comedy because that's his team now, and it's been <laughs> reshaped 
in his warped and twisted image of what a football team should be, with or without Deshaun Watson, that team's going to look a lot different in 2021, Peter. Detroit Lions. Uh, I'll take the Lions because I really want to see bitten off kneecaps. I've never seen that in a football <laughs> game before. So I want to see that, number one. But number two, I want to, tr- I want to see if uh, the new quarterback can be salvaged. All right? I think, I think that. And the other part of Detroit that is so interesting to me is I really think Aaron Glenn, within two or three years, is going to be a head coach in the NFL. He is going to put his mark on that defense, and he is going to be a bold play caller and play designer on defense in the Todd Bowles mold. So I think Detroit is going to look very different. I've got to go with the Saints, even if the only change is at quarterback. When you've had Drew Brees as your quarterback since 2006, it's dramatically different to go forward without him, and he's undoubtedly retiring. He did that contract adjustment, $25 million salary down to $1 million with no quid pro quo. He's making it easier for his exit to be processed from a cap standpoint, and even then, they got to do a lot of work. They're going to have to let some guy goes. They, guys go. They will be different because of the cap crunch this year. So on top of Drew Brees being gone, other guys are going to be gone. Sean Payton's going to have his work cut out for him in 2021, Peter. My next choice is going to be the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, It's just, you know, Mike, it was exactly three years ago last week that Doug Peterson was the Philly special miracle worker. The offensive staff was... uh, was the brightest offensive staff in football. Nick Foles was, had the best pinch-hitting job in NFL history, and they had their franchise quarterback coming back in Carson Wentz. This was going to be a model franchise for the future. So three years later, Doug Peterson uh, is fired, and they think so much of him that in 16 minutes, in announcing his successor, Jeffrey Lurie doesn't even mention his name. Um, it, it's, it's an odd, odd situation. And now, this week, next week, whenever, um, when, the, when the kitty gets pushed to the middle of the table and everyone is anteed in, uh, probably Carson Wentz is gone too. Chicago, Indy, the number one and two contenders for him. But now you have to look at the Philadelphia Eagles and basically say... All right, so if you went to Vegas last year at this time, how much money would you have bet that the coach and quarterback of the Eagles, what odds could you have gotten, would be Nick Sirianni and Jalen Hurts? I mean, those would be fairly long odds. That would be like Peter King modeling for Nutrisystem uh, this coming year. <laughs> but, but anyway, I just think the Eagles are going to look incredibly different. Plus, because of all their cap issues, they're going to look incredibly different when football starts again on Lab- after Labor Day weekend. I thought you were going to go with the Kramer comparison and say Peter King modeling for Calvin Klein underwear. So uh, anyway, That would have been uh, much better. N- next one for me, I-, I got to go with the Patriots here because we know there's going to be a new starting quarterback. We assume there will be. The Cam Newton thing didn't work the way that it was supposed to. Jarrett Stidham, I don't think, is the answer. Brian Hoyer is definitely not the answer. And they got to do something. I, they got to do something to answer what Tom Brady did. And I know Bill Belichick may, may resist just for the sake of saying, I'm not going to get desperate. I'm not going to go all in. I'm not going to try to make a major upgrade. Well, you better because you know who's coming to town at some point during the 2021 season. It's Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. You better be ready for that one. You better make sure that it's not like Rocky fighting Ivan Drago in Russia where the crowd during the fight (laughs) turns on Drago and starts chanting Rocky. They're going to go for Tommy if you don't have a team on the field that can compete with him. Yeah. Can we have a bonus one on this one, Mike? Do you mind? Yes. Okay. So I realize you didn't, you didn't take the jets, but in my opinion, they may, they may uh, beat everybody in how different that they look. Because obviously a new head coach, I think they're going to have a new quarterback. And Mike, with two ones, if they don't have to get rid of them, can you imagine if they get the Oregon tackle, you know, with with the second pick overall 
and then worry about the quarterback down the road. Just in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, okay, they're going to have the best tackle situation in football. You know, after taking Becton and then Pinay Sewell, or I always pronounce his name wrong. And then what if they take Trey Lance, you know, with their other first round pick, if they're able to do that? I mean, this is a totally fascinating franchise. You don't know what they're going to do at quarterback. They've got four ones the next two years. They've got a new head coach who's going to bring in a new way of doing things all around the building. I think the Jets are going to look plenty different. I'm torn here. You know, it's easy to say the Rams because we know there's going to be a different quarterback, and Matthew Stafford for Jared Goff is a huge difference. But I'm going to go with the Steelers. We don't know yet how it's going to manifest itself, but the Steelers are going to look very different because of the cap. They're one of the few teams in the NFL that is always bumping up against the cap. They're always redoing contracts to kick money into future years. The reckoning is coming this year. They've yet to work out any type of a deal with Ben Roethlisberger that's going to allow him to come back. Ed Bouchette of The Athletic suggested within the last week or two, that's still not guaranteed to happen. They still may not find the right middle ground. But between James Conner, Juju Smith-Schuster, I think a lot of potential changes. Bud Dupree likely gone after tearing his ACL in a franchise-tagged year. A lot of changes for the Steelers team. A lot of pressure on the Steelers next year, Peter. Uh and, and uh, I still think there's a chance they're going to go in a different direction at quarterback. I mean, they should definitely think about it. I think Pittsburgh, when we're doing this show a year from now, Pittsburgh will be the number one draft choice. Wow. Wow. Because they will have earned it? No, I don't mean they're going to have the number one draft choice. I mean, in oh, this segment, teams what different. teams are going to change the most yeah. this year? Yeah. yeah. Well... And, and I'm not a big fan of this one more year with a quarterback thing. And, and if Roethlisberger's talking like right. one more year, the team's talking like one more year, maybe it's time to move on. We'll move on. We'll be back with more PFT Live right now. Trevor Lawrence will work out for scouts today. He needs to do it now because he has to have shoulder, uh, shoulder surgery on his non-throwing shoulder. Peter, I don't know why he's doing it. Hayes in the barn. The, the guy's the number one pick. You got nothing to gain and everything to lose just go get your surgery done and say we'll see you on draft day he's not going to lose anything that's why he's doing it he's trying to be nice to nfl scouts and to the teams that say we'd like to see you throw so let him throw you're right but you're right in this in this part he's got very little to lose i think he's got nothing to lose he's going to be the first pick in the draft I just, I, I can't wait for the day one of these guys says, I, if you don't want to draft me, don't draft me. One of your competitors will. That's it for today, everybody. Have a great weekend. See you Monday. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.